Welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is the podcast that explores a full-spectrum spirituality. That is, it looks at the shadow, the light, and how we can bring the two together into an experience of unity and harmony. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad to have you here today. Okay, the title of this episode is, as I believe the title is, I Am Not My Green Jumper. And that title just needs a slight bit of introduction here. Um, recently, I had been listening to a Ram Das talk, a talk that Ram Das gave probably 20 plus years ago called How Different It Is. And I'll include a link to that talk in the show notes if you're interested. But in that talk, he has a riff, a teaching riff on his own gray sweater, it seems. And since when I was giving this talk, I had was wearing a green sweater, or as they say in Ireland, a green jumper, I decided to call this talk, I am not my green jumper. The deeper theme of this talk is an exploration of the nature of awareness relative to the objects within awareness. So the the relationship between consciousness, as it were, and the content of consciousness. Um, And, you know, as, as we get into this kind of deeper end theme, uh, one thing I just want to mention for any listener that's newer or just getting familiar with these kinds of themes, um, that simply that the big intention behind a Dharma talk, as I see it, is to um, offer reflections for consideration. So you'll hear stuff, you'll, you'll be exposed to themes and topics and, and concepts and practices, and with all of it, the, the, the spirit of it is offered in such a way that where I would be encouraging or a teacher, Dharma teacher would encourage you to test these reflections in the fire of your own experience. And if upon engagement with these topics and themes, you feel that they're of value to you, then the encouragement is to adopt them and make these themes, topics, practices your own. And um, there may be times where you're exposed to content or a type of teaching similar to what might be occurring in this Dharma talk, and it just might not feel like it lands with you. It doesn't. You don't connect with it. Um, sort of goes in one ear and goes out the other. It just makes your brow furrow. But you're you're left kind of not really sure what was being addressed or said, and it doesn't make much sense. Um, for those talks, I just say put it aside, let it be for now, um, stay with what you feel comfortable and um, engaged with, and you never know. Maybe a year or two or three or more down the road, um, you might stumble on some territory and experience, and then something within a talk that you long ago dismissed, suddenly that theme comes back and is suddenly alive for you. So just bear that in mind as you uh, listen to a theme like this. Okay, so again, this talk is part of the weekly offerings that Terry and I are offering in our online virtual Sangha. Um, If you would like to have more consistent access to these talks uh, in our library, along with yoga practices that we teach, both yin, yang, and qigong practices that go along with the themes of these talks, if you'd like access to that, you can join our Sangha as either a sustaining membership where you'd be able to offer us on a sliding fee, a small, modest amount of um, support per month. And if you're unable to offer that support, we offer a beneficiary membership model where you can have access to our teachings, both live over Zoom and in the recorded 
or in the recorded library all for free. Um, and it's our generosity to you to help support your practice in these difficult times. So um, thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoy this talk. And without further ado, I now bring you I Am Not My Green Jumper. I live in a town just west of uh, Boston where uh, back in the day, uh, this is the town that Richard Albert, a.k.a. Ram Das, grew up in and um, actually spent time um, here as an adult when he was teaching at Harvard. And uh, I just so happened to be listening to a, a Ram Das Dharma talk that someone had, one of you had actually shared with me and said, encourage me to check out. So I feel like I've been walking around my local streets and listening to this voice of great wisdom, um, trying to imagine, like, did he pass this oak tree too? <laughs> did, did, he, did he, was he on this street ever? Um, but it, it roots me, it, 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 in a weird way, um, it feels like it's rooted me to something much bigger, which of course is the, the path that we're on, that uh, it, it's a reminder that we're not alone in this. Um, and one of the beautiful things about this community, community that is forming is that we have time in the week where we can feel like we're part of something that's united by a shared principle of um, development of ten attention, compassion, and wisdom um, as, we, as we meander through these, these teachings and practices together. Um, <clears throat> and people have been doing it for literally millennia. Um, so the, 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 the cool thing is that many of the the challenges, the struggles that we face have been faced elsewhere and before. And there are tried and true remedies, uh, tools and antidotes that are disposable that we've inherited. So it's always uh, with a great sense of um, gratitude for those traditions that we've, that we've come to receive. But um, <clears throat> uh, amidst my walking, um, it, it keeps coming to me that you know, I have, I have great aspirations for where we're going to go together. I have great, great aspirations for the, 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 the forms of practices that we're going to explore, the, um, the, the ways of looking at practices together. And, and really, um, just so it's all clear, my intention is to sort of lay out a map of the territory and then mention tools and, and share and reflect on tools and methodologies that can help you traverse that map, the map of experience. Um, but it's in no, my intention is in no way to kind of have you develop a system of practice that is identical to something that I'm saying. Um, and that's what I think is kind of somewhat explicit about how I try to teach, which is that I see myself as a communicator around methodology and I try to speak to these methodologies as clearly as I can so that you can pick those up and use them as tools and figure out how they work within your experience. And within practice, there will be a lot of trial and error on your part where you might pick up one tool and find it's very useful for a while and you kind of run with it for a bit. And then maybe after a while that, that tool no longer seems to be serving as well. And something that seemed completely confusing 
weeks or months before, suddenly you, you, you revisit it and it kind of, it's like a light bulb goes off in your head and suddenly lands in your experience as, as the thing you should be uh, employing or using or, or, or making use of. So um, this is a kind of a meandering path, if you will, there, where there, there's going to be things that um, you might get exposed to that don't necessarily resonate with you in the moment. And um, because there'll be a way that we spiral around many themes, when something comes back, you might find, oh, it didn't make sense before, but it seems to really click now. And that's all preamble to sort of say that um, there are times teachings, and tonight's teaching is one of them, <clears throat> but there are times where the teaching might not land because of where we are at within a particular stage of development in our practice. Um, that sometimes we can get exposed to a teaching that it just doesn't, it doesn't make conceptual sense or it doesn't um, feel like it makes uh, experiential sense for us and it can feel out of reach. So <clears throat> as a general caution on that, if, you, if there's any time that I'm saying something, you hear some other teacher speaking to something that doesn't land for you or doesn't make sense or resonate, just you know, hold, it, hold it loosely, just put it aside for a while and, and know that it, there may be a time down the road where that particular teaching is the perfect thing you need at that moment to come. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things I've been trying to do for these first few talks is, in a way, lay out the big sense of the map that we're going to be working with. Um, this is not going to be a high-grained or a high-grained detailed resolution of the map. This is just a big overview of some of the key features of the map. And then once I sort of feel like I've covered the key features of the map in a way that I feel is sufficient, then I'll probably go back and we'll, we'll open up many of these, these elements and really spend some time like rolling up our sleeve and, and really getting into the, 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 the small grain or the, the fine grain details of it. But on the big picture, from the big picture, one of the things I've been suggesting is this primary, I could call it the primary contemplative hypothesis. The primary contemplative hypothesis, which is found in various forms in all of the great religious wisdom traditions found throughout the world. But the primary hypothesis is something you've heard me say now several times, which is that there is a dimension of being, there's a dimension of being that's already 100% present in you right now there's a dimension of being in you that is utterly free content happy and at peace and all of the spiritual contemplative technologies that we mobilize are skill various skillful means to help each of us come to that direct knowledge ourselves so meditation is one of the tools that we use. Meditation is a path inward to uncover and recognize that dimension of our being. Um, different traditions, different systems, different teachers are going to highlight and emphasize different routes into that experience. And, you know, so this is where we can get kind of hung up on the, like the sound of something or we can get hung up on the, the, the delivery how does the teacher deliver it? Does that, do we resonate with the delivery? But behind all the forms of how we get there, before, behind all the roots in, this taste of our, of our true nature, if you will, our, 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 our 
our the, the inner dimension of our being is is the same everywhere. <clears throat> and stemming from this primary hypothesis, so, so moving out from that that hypothesis that we test within our practice um, is an approach to meditation that is not unique to me, but I'm, I'm trying to articulate in a way that's kind of kind of flavored by my personality a bit. But in this approach to meditation, and you see this in most of the Buddhist forms of meditation and, and, and uh, Neo-Advaita Vedanta or Advaita Vedanta forms of meditation, <clears throat> there is a steadfast acceptance of reality as it is. Meaning the, the, the mode that we enter the practice with, or the, the, the energy that we, within which we practice our, our, and explore our mind is not one of trying to change experiences. We're not trying to change our body so much. We're not trying to change what our minds are doing whether it's think, thoughts, feelings, emotions, plans, memories, fears, whatever it is. We're not trying to stop any of that. We're letting reality be just as it, as it is because, again, the hypothesis is that within whatever reality we're experiencing, there is this dimension of peace that's already here. And so we have to train ourselves, and this is what the meditation tries to do, it trains us to recognize both what's occurring to train us to become very familiar with the patterns of experience. I mean, so right now you're sitting there, one pattern of experience is going to be your physical experience, your, the, the, the experience of your body as, a, as, as it's delivered to you as a pattern of sensation. And this is what we, you know, a lot of the yoga practices that we do get us to, to do well. We learn how to become aware of the body pattern. From the body pattern, once we get more embodied, then we can start to see the mental patterns, the mental conditioning with greater clarity. We start to see what it's like for us when we're thinking, what the, the various patterns of our thought are. And both of those patterns, physical patterning, mental patterning, are the content of our experience. It's, it, they make up the, the various features of what we know when we're awake, we know our feelings, our thoughts, our body sensations, and stuff going on in the, in the environment. <clears throat> and what the, what the meditation journey, and this is where I'm zooming out again to go big picture, but one of the, the, the big picture thing about the spiritual path, at least it's, as it's articulated in Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta, once we become aware of these patterns, could say a massive, I'm trying to think of a percentage here, whether it's say 70%, 90%, I'm not quite clear on this, but a huge percentage, we'll leave it at that, a huge percentage of the, of the spiritual work is learning how to make a shift, a tiny shift in identity. And that shift can be described in different ways, but one way I'll describe it is we shift from a sense of self or a self-concept that we have about ourselves, we, set, we shift from a self-concept that's defined by the wardrobe of our personality. Here's the Ram Dass coming up, building up to the Ram Dass line. 
But we shift from identi being identified with the wardrobe of our personality. That means the thoughts, the feelings, the, the plans, et cetera, that we tend to identify ourselves as, our likes and our dislikes, and all the things that connect to that. We shift from that thought-based domain of identity into a dimension of our being that's aware of the thought-based identity. Namely, we shift into an awareness-based domain of identity where who and what we are is not so much defined by what we think we are. We're defined by our capacity to simply know the various thoughts that we're imagining ourselves to be. So some, I, I, I use this analogy a few times. It, it can sometimes um, uh, connect, help this, this shift connect better for people. Um, Imagine, and I, since I've been watching a bit more of the news, I've become more familiar with the, um, the advertisements that get pumped into the news cycles. And um, there's a few of them that have caught my attention because they're kind of humorous. There's this, a woman who I guess used to work for um, Martha Stewart in some high-level position, and she's now online, I forget her name, but she's selling a thing called a spurtle. And a spurtle is this like long, like two inch wide spatula. It was invented in Scotland for, for scraping the sides of a big pot of steel cut oatmeal. And it got me thinking about how after I bought the spurtle for $19.99, the, the, the set of four, got me, it reminded me of the danger, because it just, it's the perfect tool. If you cook and you, you can see the intrinsic perfectness of this tool and how the, the, the wooden spoons that you have in your, 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 your cooking jar just are not going to do what this spurtle can do. So don't judge. I mean, I could see that that's, it, even over Zoom, I could see the incredulity in your eyes. Like Josh is watching like, cable news and buying things off advertisements. What, what, how, how could he be leading the Dharma talk if that's the state of his consciousness? Um, well, that's the, that is actually the theme I want to give here, which is that imagine what it would be like for the health of your finances if every time an advertisement on television showed up and you pulled out your credit card to buy that thing. Now, I, I suffered a loss of 1999, which I think is money well worth spent if the spurtle proves to be as effective and helpful as I think it's going to be. But imagine if like, all those things. There was another thing I saw recently, which was like alien tape. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but alien tape just seems like the, I can't tell if this is Saturday Night Live's comedy or what. Like this just seems like the most absurd form of tape. I can't imagine it's working because it seems to hold everything in place and is easily removed in seconds. And yet there it is. But imagine for a second, if you were to purchase every item that came up as a advertisement, you'd, you'd be financially, um, well, depending on your income level, you might be financially in bankruptcy pretty quickly. The, the, the analogy here is this. The advertisements that get thrown up on terms of our visual field, that's thrown up on our screen when we're watching television, can be seen as similar to the, the advertising nature of thoughts that our brain pumps out. And the brain, you know, various aspects of our being uh, have strategies for happiness. 
and they, they announce those strategies as desires. If you, if you just do this, if you just get that, if you just get rid of this, if you do that, if you put your attention on this thing, if you watch the out-breath more than the in-breath, I heard someone else talking about that. If you watch the out-breath, then your spiritual practice is going to hum. There's all, so there's all these ways that the brain will generate advertisements in our practice. And the beauty of the, of the meditation is that we get to see those patterns over and over and over again until we literally become disillusioned by them. We, disillusionment is, is the literal experience because we, t- we see them for the illusion that they are. And we see how we have been transfixed by their illusory pull or grip on us. And we don't have to stop them. This is the danger. We don't have to stop thinking. We don't have to, we can use thinking as much as we need to. But it's the reflexive habit to be identified with the statement of a thought that is probably to blame for 90, if not more percent of our distress in the world. So making this shift from a being who's identified as the thinker and owner of thought to becoming awareness, shifting into your natural awareness that's alive and receptive to hearing my voice, feeling your body, to hearing whatever else is coming in from your environmental experience, that's, that shift, it's a very slight one, is a huge shift in terms of spiritual significance. Uh, there's a, a monk uh, that I will reference named Ajahn Sumedho, who describes this shift as going from the paradigm of being me with my problems, where I sit down as a meditator, and I'm Josh the meditator sitting down with my stressed out issues, my financial worries, my uh, anxiety about the state of the planet and the country and all of that. There's that pattern of me, which probably sounds familiar to the pattern of you. And then we shift from that pattern of identification, me and my problems, to what Sumedho refers to as the Buddha knowing the Dharma. Now, the Buddha is not... We don't, we don't suddenly sit here and then transform ourselves into a, you know, a, a, a mystical male from North India who lived 2,600 years ago. We shift into the Buddha nature within us, which is our capacity to be awake and aware. So the awareness capacity, the capacity for awareness is, you could say, the one's Buddha nature. So we're just learning to shift into awareness of the entire thing that we were once entranced into believing what we were. And in this talk that I was listening to by uh, Ram Das, he was saying, you know, our self-concept, our sense of self that's defined by concepts, thoughts, feelings, likes, dislikes, that sense of self gets kind of deeply entrenched and ingrained from a very, very early age. 
And then we have however long we've been alive to reinforce moment by moment with our culture, our, our cultural agents of our families, etc. It gets reinforced and entrenched very, very deeply. So learning to live in from this other shift from the or learning to shift into this other dimension of our being and learn then learning how to abide and live from that other dimension of our being is sort of another way of describing significant elements of the path <clears throat> now here's where uh the, the ram das line will come out um, he says the self-concept is just like the tip of the iceberg and then beneath that, there are these much deeper, broader dimensions of our being that are mostly subconscious or below the perceptual threshold for most people because we're so enmeshed or entranced by the thought-based model of being. But he says it's like, it would be like, um, I mean, he uses the example of a gray sweater. I'm wearing a greenish sweater, but it would be like me wearing this green sweater and taking myself to be this sweater or and if you're from ireland and the sweater itself is from ireland it's a jumper a green jumper and you would be very very concerned i like I, I hope you would i hope you'd be very very concerned if you suddenly heard me make statements to the fact that hi guys i am um, Put in my Irish accent, guys. I'm a. Uh, I've got a new identity, and it's I'm a green jumper. I am this green jumper. I've been confused my entire life, but now I know I'm this green jumper. You'd think I'd lost the plot, but that, in effect, when we identify with the thoughts and feelings that cloak ourselves, cloak our sense of being, we're effectively doing the same thing. We take the the thing we've identified with, not as, as this is the Ram Das line, not as a feature of the environment. This sweater is not just a feature of my environment. It becomes who and what I am. And on the level of a sweater, it sounds insane. Every, and because we are, you know, not to get too heavy on this idea, but because we're all a enculturated whatever cultures we were part of to be uh, reinforced and praised for our ability to think we've really really deeply entrenched that habit of identification not forgetting that it's just a process that we can learn to recognize and that's the first step of the meditation, as I try to say in a few past weeks, is just seeing the relentless way that our minds get hooked by the thinking process. Seeing that again and again and again is a first step towards starting to wake up out of being completely identified with the thinker and to becoming more identified as the awareness, the ability to be aware of whatever might be going on. So tonight, um, I, I want to just kind of now ground 
this shift, this process of shifting from our thought-based being to a more awareness-based being, I want to ground that shift in two, with, with two uh, techniques or two approaches that might work for some of you, might feel very helpful, help facilitate the shift. And in general, just like in a yin yoga class or in a yin yoga pose, you might offer two, two or three variations of the pose so that people with different um, physical structures will find their version of the pose that is, is more suitable for them. I, I feel like it's the same way in meditation. You all have natural proclivities that are gonna be somewhat unique to you as an individual. And because of that, some techniques are going to resonate more than others. So as always, my, my encouragement is to play with some of these techniques in a, in a very, um, in, literally in a playful way, and try them out and see if one is better or th than the other in terms of helping facilitate the sense of a shift. So the first technique is what I will call unhooking. Uh, unhooking the, our sense of awareness, which tends to be hooked somewhere be, sort of behind and between the eyes. So if I, if I were to, I, I know I brought this up last talk or last class, if I were to ask, where are you aware from? If you could point to that, I, I would do something like this. <laughs> I'm aware from somewhere in here. This is where I feel like my center of awareness is operating from. And it's prim primarily driven by the fact that I'm, my eyes are located here. And we're such visually oriented uh, organisms that that tends to be the locus where our awareness feels like it is. And this is a really important you know, first step just to get a feeling. Where do you feel like your awareness is? And so if it, for most people, it tends to be in the head, the unhooking practice is just learning to, to play with or to test that default location. So the default location tends to be somewhere in the head. And, and we can start to test that by seeing, is it possible for that sense of awareness to move around? And the easy way, and this will be, I think, um, hopefully accessible for many of you in the, with yoga background, the, the easiest way is to have a sense of the awareness shifting down into the body. Letting the, the location of your awareness descend into the body. And in doing that, the, the recommendation I'll have is you allow yourself to sort of descend like you're going down in an elevator, breaking your awareness down. And as you bring your awareness into your torso, either in your abdomen or diaphragm or uh, the whole trunk even, as you bring your awareness down there, endeavor to feel the experience of the body from within itself. So and this, is, this is a key thing. So I'm going to try to demonstrate this with my hands a little bit. Normally, this hand floating up here is like the awareness in our head looking down from above, from on high, looking down at the physicality of this body down here. Or like the, I don't know, the, uh, the person high up in the tower looking down on the commoners below. And this, what I'm suggesting here is we let the awareness descend so it is, feels like it's from within the body, within the field of sensation. And we can feel that and imagine what it's like, not even imagine, but just directly connect with it, of feeling it from within itself. So you're, it's, it's a very intimate experience. 
extremely intimate. And as you do that, as you start to feel like, oh, the awareness does pervade and can pervade the body below this line of the neck, you start to realize that its default location or sense of location up in the head is just that, a habit, a habitual default. But it's optional. And the more you get familiar with shifting and placing your, what this teacher Locke Kelly refers to as your local awareness, so you unhook your local awareness from this spot up here, and you can place it down in different places of your parts of your body intentionally. That starts to facilitate this shift because it breaks up the very conditioned tendency to feel like that it's in one place and that that's who and what you are. So as an instruction, as you try this approach, the instruction is simply to allow your attention to relax and descend down and you'll feel the dynamic in your body. Feel the body, the, the field of pressure, tingling, expansion, contraction. It's a very alive, energetic sense. Okay? It, it won't feel distant. It won't feel detached. It won't feel cold. It will feel very intimate, alive. There's a buzzing, vibratory, tingling aliveness to it. And just, we just let ourselves relax into that. And then, of course, um, you, you might find when working this way that your attention kind of goes back up and down, like you're on the elevator going back up to the level of thinking of the head and then back down. So when you start realizing your thinking, again, we don't stop, we don't have to go to war with the thought process. We can recognize it. And as we see ourselves thinking, just say, okay, what would it be like to be aware of this thinking pattern from my gut? So you let the attention, again, descend down without having to stop this process up here. Let it descend down to the belly or to the lower body. And then, again, feel awareness from within. Feel how you can, can connect with that pattern sensation from within itself. So that's the unhooking. And you'll probably find, if you do it, that there'll be, there's a phase where you'll be unhooking yourself a lot. You'll see yourself get caught back up in the level of being identified as the thinker. You wake up to that. This is the way you're drifting. You're waking up out of the drifting off phase. You wake up to having been lost in thought. You're aware of it now. And then you can relax and descend and unhook the attention from up here back into an embodied experience. The goal is not to keep your attention down in the, in the body the whole time. I want to be very clear about that. The goal is to know what it's like when you're up here and what it's like down here. You're comparing and contrast the experience of your being when you're able to unhook your awareness from its default location between your eyes. Eventually, uh, you might have a more sustained experience where your, 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 your kind of location of or, or default experience of awareness is more in the chest or in the abdomen. And you'll still feel the thoughts going. You'll still notice the thoughts. But from that perspective, it really does feel like just the burbling, gurgling stuff of advertisements. Like, so your awareness is down here, chilling out, really cool feeling, the 
the rhythm and flow of bodily experience. And then above, you just got this head that's going, well, over here, I don't know. Isn't it a long meditation? How long are we going to be here? But down here, you're just like, oh, just be within that. The surface waves are still doing their thing, but it's no bother because you're not identified with them as who and what you are. You can choose to respond to them if you like, but they don't, they don't grip you or hijack you with their demands in the same way because you are no longer identified with them as who and what you are. So this, this, and this is why the body is used in so many systems of practice because it's a, it can be a very sobering place to allow your awareness to descend into to get perspective on the more habitual form or being of identification that you have. So that's one, on the unhooking practice. And I'll guide you when we, when we sit shortly. The other practice is one of exploring awareness itself. Exploring awareness itself. So I started this last week where we ask ourselves, where are we aware from? And or you could even ask, what is aware? Or where is awareness? And I'm, I'm intentionally giving you a few questions here because I, this, for this, this type of ex- exploration, for this type of exploration practice to work, it has to be fueled. The practice itself needs to be fueled. And I should say all practices are like this, but the practice, this particular one has to be fueled by a very sincere and deep desire to know. If you don't want to know what the nature of awareness is, this this can be very difficult. You can't kind of armchair your way through this in a casual, oh, let me just sit back for 30 minutes and, you know, casually ask, where am I aware from? For for this this kind of practice to work, there really needs to be a, a kind of a, a very fiery desire to know, to know what you are at your root. But if that energy and that curiosity and that desire is strong enough, then it can, it can really like, can be function. This form of practice can function like an atom bomb to blow your mind open to the truth of what, what your awareness is. So you ask, where am I aware from? Or what is awareness? Where is awareness knowing from? And wherever you start, like let's say you start with that sense of the awareness in your head. Well, where, and then you can get really precise. And this, there is analysis here, but okay, if it's in my head, what are the borders of that awareness in my head? And I'm leaving that much pause because as soon as I ask myself that question, that sense of locality here vanished. I couldn't find a, a clear border to it. There was no, it was unboundaried as an experience. All that was left was just this clear open space with the crickets outside, my foot tingling, the square boxes or rectangles of you guys. It was all occurring within the field of awareness. The, 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 the circumscribed or boundaried sense of it being locationally 
fixed somewhere, vanished, vanished. And that is a taste into this pure awareness nature or awareness-based nature of the Buddha, the Buddha within. So I will probably speak more to this, the second form of exploration more as we go. But I encourage you tonight to work with these two or try these two approaches and I'll guide you them when we get into the practice. The one is either to shift your attention into the body, which is a little bit more of an anchored experience of awareness. And then, but again, I always want to be clear that the awareness is not dependent on being exclusively felt to be in the body. It could be, you know, you could feel that awareness is pervading all around you. That's another feeling sense that we can have. Or we can just explore where is the awareness aware from and follow that, that question all the way back, 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 back to its very source and see where that leads and takes us. Now, essentially, this is where I'm going to zoom out for the big map again for a second. The big map of spirituality is what we're doing when we do this kind of a practice is we're unblending, we're unblending awareness's tendency to be fused with content. So normally when the thought arises, awareness is, I'm the thinker, I'm having the thought. That's the normal default. Practice is learning to relax and really see the whole process for what it is. There's the thought. There's the knowing of the thought. There's the sound. There's the knowing of the sound. There's the sensation. The knowing of the sensation. But the qualities of the knowing, the qualities of the awareness, are not in any way the qualities of the content. And what we are establishing is what some traditions refer to as the primary dualism, the primary dualistic nature of experience, where there's a subject, an awareness that knows objects. And the reason I keep saying in this practice, we're not trying to control the objects of experience. We're not trying to change our thoughts. We're not trying to change the sensations. We're not trying to change the environmental sounds or temperatures. We're not changing the objects because there is no resolution in the world of objects because all objects are born and die. All our objects arise and cease. As long as our happiness is predicated on getting objects to behave the way we want them to, we will suffer. So the practice of turning in is not about now no longer looking at for resolution in the world of objects or form, but to actually start to feel the resolution that's inherent in our being at the level of awareness. So there's this primary duality that will be created at first. It feels like it's being created between the witness. Some traditions refer to it as capital W, the witness the witness consciousness that is just seeing the relentless display of thoughts, sensations, form coming and going before it. It's like Zen, they refer to this witness as the empty, clear mirror of the mind, before which all experiences come and go and are reflected within that clear mirror. But the clear mirror is completely detached and unchanged, unfazed, unbothered by whatever dances before it. 
Now, one of you wrote that in hearing this kind of a teaching, it felt like it was a little bit cold or it engendered a kind of despair and disconnection. And I can appreciate that. I totally understand that concern that if we learn to dis detach or pull back from our tendency to be identified with things and we rest as just the knowing, we rest as the witness, it can feel like we're kind of cut back, cut off, <clears throat> and not fully engaged. <clears throat> All I'll say for now is this is not the end point of the path. The end point of the path is not to abide ever and ever as this pure detached awareness or witness in consciousness. That's not the end of the path. It's a very important developmental capacity on the path, but it's not the end point. And so once we establish that there's this witness feeling that's aware of sensations, thoughts, etc., once we establish that and stabilize within our witnessing consciousness or stabilize in our awareness, then, and this is where it happens more by grace than by dint of intention or effort, but this experience of duality between the knowing mind, the awareness, and objects collapses. And very little can be said about this. In fact, and this is where um, many of the, the, the mystical teachings will say, like in Taoism, anything that can be said about it is incorrect, including that statement. Words can't touch the experience of what is known as non-dual connection or non-dual awareness, where the, the sense of subject and object, witness and experience, that collapses and they're seen as an experience more not it's not an idea it's just experienced as being indivisibly non-separate and from there from that taste which you know i feel like i've had fleeting glimpses of from that experience it dramatically changes your whole sense of who you are, what you are, and what you're doing. But it, it, beyond that, I can't really say. I can say, say it's, a, it's a sea change of identity. It's a sea change of what you took yourself to be. And then from there, people say, well, what should be a spiritually enlightened person do? as though there was this formula that would spit out spiritually enlightened people to behave in one particular way. And as Ram Das was saying, it's like, it's telling like the oak tree, the oak tree, you, Hey, if you're going to be a tree, you should be more like the maple tree. Or if you're like, you're maple. No, you should be more like the oak or the poplar or the pine tree. We all have our unique personalities, which is kind of the medium through which our awakening will express itself. And that will be very different to each of us. But the experience, the knowledge of what we are has one taste. Like, I think it's the Tibetans that say, no matter where you dip your cup in the ocean, whatever you taste, it's salty. And from this experience of non-dual realization, when the subject and object collapse and merge, 
whatever you experience you have, it has only one taste. And that's a freedom. So we'll sit shortly. Um, and I know, I want to say this, um, say this to connect a little bit with you. If you're like me, if you're at all like me right now, you're feeling very anxious a lot of the time, paralyzed part of the time, terrified. You may be having trouble sleeping. You may be having trouble focusing. And any of that and more. So my personality-based being is probably very, very similar to your personality-based being living through the things we're living through. And the only thing I can say is the, the way forward, at least from what I can sense, is that the issues at the level of the personality won't resolve themselves. We have to wake up to deeper dimensions of who and what we are. And from there, a path emerges on what to do, when to do it, and how. So let's, um, well, first I want to just say thank you for your attention tonight. Um, let's practice now, and, um, and then we'll have some time to, to connect and chat. So come to a comfortable seat. And tonight, uh, the beginning of the sitting and at the end, I'm going to ring the bell three times. And if you don't know this, yeah, I'll just explain it again. The, the ringing of the bell three times is uh, symbolic of the triple gem in Buddhism. And the triple gem refers to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So each bell, the first one, is a reminder of our awareness. Take, it's an encouragement to take refuge in our own awareness. The Dharma, second bell, is an acknowledgement of taking refuge in teachings and practices that we've inherited, all of us, that remind us of our awareness nature. And the third bell, the final bell, is the reminder of the Sangha, all of us, those that value the experience of awareness, value the paths to awareness, and value each of our support. Because the culture at large is driven by desires and, and likes and dislikes. Waking up out of that is against the grain of our culture. So it's, it, this is one of the reasons why the triple gem is, is seen as a very, very stable tripod of support for practice. When these three things are in place, practice can go more smoothly because it has the support of a firm base of a tripod. So you can close the eyes if you'd like, and we'll begin.
bringing from the beginning a welcoming energy to yourself and your experience. And for a few moments, just allowing your your being to shift into a, a relaxed, receptive mode that's similar to listening, where you're deeply listening to just what's happening. And as you come into a relaxed, receptive position, give yourself permission to put down any energy that might be connected to performance. This is an unburdening of performing, an unburdening of doing. And like a naturalist might set up a small camp in a habitat and just observe the behavior of the animals, Observe the, the different climatic uh, influences that come through with the weather. Observe the various plants and trees in the area. Just exploring the natural environment. We can bring that same energy to our inner experience here. Letting sounds be the sounds that they are, letting thoughts be the thoughts that they are. And letting the body be the body that it is.
See how light and soft you can let your awareness connect. And that lightness and softness can develop and really grow out of the the deep understanding that everything is allowed. Nothing is disallowed. Everything is allowed to announce itself. Everything is given space to be nothing other than what it is. I'm going to do a little guidance here. You can follow along if you'd like, or just continue to do what you're already doing. For this first part of the exercise, see if you can feel or sense where you're aware from in your head. Is there a region or zone of your head where it feels like your awareness is gathered, kind of shored up in your skull somewhere? You don't have to be too, you don't have to pinpoint it too finely right now. Simply just get a sense of a zone or a region where you feel like you're knowing and experiencing the world from. And then from this vantage point, from this heady location of attention, Let your attention just glance down and look upon the feeling of sensation in your hands. So assuming your hands are in your lap somewhere, there's probably a good two to two and a half feet of distance between your head and your hands. And so it can feel like you're watching and observing sensations from high above looking down. Just get a feeling for what that's like. Looking down at the sensation of the hands from your head.
and from this sense of distance and space, you can then try something else. You can try letting the, the localized awareness in the head, you can let that unhook from that perch in the cranium. And let the sense of awareness slide and descend down through the throat, through the chest, into the belly. Until finally your awareness comes again and meets the sensation of your hands. But see if you can feel your hands from within your hands. There's a pattern of alive sensation. And bringing your awareness down below the line of the neck into the hands of the belly itself is a little bit of like, like bringing ourselves below water, <clears throat> particularly if the water has a high percentage of saline in it, will pop back up and float. So you might find that you feel into the palms very intimately and closely connected, feeling the sensations of the hands from within themselves. And then you might find that your attention pops back up to the surface in the head. And once again, you feel like you're looking down at those very same sensations. So I began this way because sometimes the hands can, can be a little bit more specific and can give you a taste of shifting local awareness from its residency in the head down to some other part of the body. So if, the, if working with the hands in this way is, is supportive, if it feels like you're able, you're able to explore and play with moving the location of awareness, particularly within the hands, if this seems to work for you, please continue with it. Some of you may prefer the more specific sensations of the palms. And some of you may prefer the broader, more generalized Feel the sensation in the torso or abdomen or diaphragm or chest or all of it.
important to remember that in any of these practices, the energy of lightness, gentleness, softness goes a long way. So if in playing with this exercise of shifting awareness from the head down to the body somewhere, if this in any way engenders tension, conflict, struggle, or confusion, let it be for a bit, dude. Disengage with the, the suggestion that I'm giving. And just relax within your experience. Let everything be. this first tool is more of a use of the body in service of unhooking our local awareness from its default locale in the head and learning to see how it can be experienced in other remote parts of the body. And I should be clear, you know, I'm just using the hands and the torso as examples of where you can place the attention. But you can, you can play with this idea in a whole variety of different ways. You can feel the foot from within itself, or both feet, or your legs. And you can also start to sense awareness from within the space around the body. So this first route, R-O-U-T-E, first route into shifting from 
a being that's identified with thoughts to a being that's identified as awareness of those thoughts. The first route is a way of using the body to experience the non-local dependence of awareness. As we see we can move awareness around, we start to see that it's, it's fixed Location in the head is not a given. It's just a it's just a habit. And that's sort of the more we start to play with that, we start to that starts to soften up the kind of calcified or ossified dimension of our being that's defined by its personality. And for people that connect with their body quite easily, this can be a very skillful route or way into the shift. But some people are a little bit more analytic than they are uh, somatic. And the good news is that a different route in is to explore and or analyze the very location, wherever it may be, of that sense of awareness. And this, this, this practice, this route, if you will, gets described as a practice of self-inquiry, where we inquire into the direct experience of something that we normally take for granted. So let's say you feel, you feel your awareness in your head. Stay with that sense for a while and really get clear on what that sense of residency for awareness in the head feels like. Stay with that sense, that felt experience of awareness in the head. Does it reach the inner ear? Does it reach the top of the head? Does it reach your jaw? How is that sense bounded? defined. And once I get very clear that that's right, an inch and a half, or less behind the eyes, somewhere in that space behind and between the eyes. Once I get a very a f- consistent feeling for that location, then a follow-up question, which is really the atom bomb question, once you have that felt sense of awareness in, lo- in terms of location in the head, 
then you can drop in the question, okay, well, if this is where I'm aware from, where am I aware of this felt sense of awareness from? <laughs> Say that again. Once you feel and you have a shored up sense of where in your head you're aware from, you really rest into that feeling for a bit. Then you might ask, where am I aware of this felt sense of awareness from? And this can make the rational mind go cross-eyed. But the poetic mind might say, where are you aware of this awareness from? The poetic mind might say, everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Location doesn't register. Space doesn't register. Boundedness doesn't register. So for the remainder of this sitting, I'll leave you with the words from Ajahn Sumedho. Awareness is your refuge. Awareness of the changingness of feelings. Awareness of the changingness of attitudes, of moods, of physical and material change and emotional change. Stay with that because awareness is a refuge that is indestructible. It's not something that changes. It's a refuge you can trust in. This, is not, this refuge is not something you create. It's not a creation. It's not an ideal. It's very practical and very simple, but easily, easily overlooked or not noticed. But when you're mindful, you're beginning to notice it's like this. Sensation is like this. Thought is like this. Sound is like this. And awareness 
wakeful awareness is like this. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And if you would like to join our Sangha, again, to have access to the live and recorded classes that follow from these themes presented in talks, please head over to www.joshsummers.net forward slash Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A, where you can join me and Terry each week from the comfort of your own home. Okay, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode, and until then, practice on and stay strong.